Do you think that the Amish are right and that they forego all the luxuries of living in a modern society? Does that make them good Christians or does it make them better Christians than those who don't forego those luxuries? Maybe we should go even farther. Should Christians all take vows of poverty like Catholic monks and nuns and say we won't even own any property or have any wealth, etc.? Hi, folks. This is Andy, the analytical preacher. And in this podcast, I want to look at exactly those questions. How should Christians navigate living a very biblical, God-focused, God-glorifying life in a modern materialistic society? Of course, you know, the Bible speaks a lot about money. Jesus himself spoke a lot about money and possessions and wealth. Jesus not only tells us that it can be bad if the money is the most important thing to us, that money should not have that prime position, but even warns us that money can have some real negative effects in our life as well. Let me just put a couple of scriptures out here early in the podcast to lay the foundation and what we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 21. Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's his key point. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Apostle Paul, writing to the young preacher Timothy, who he was mentoring, says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all kind of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So money's not bad, but the love of money can be the root of evils. Laying up treasures on earth and making that our most important thing, Jesus says, can be bad. Many folks will be familiar with the story of what the Bible generally calls the rich young ruler, where Jesus spoke to a person and the person was asking him, you seem to be a very learned rabbi and a very good person. So tell me then, Jesus, what is it I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus and the man talk a little bit about the commandments of Moses. But then Jesus says to the man, one thing that you lack, you are so obsessed with your wealth. You lean on your wealth for identity. You lean on your wealth for security. What you need to do is give up your wealth, give it away, and then come and follow me. But the young man, it said, because he was so wealthy, he became very sad and just disengaged from Jesus. Then we read this in Luke 18, 24 and 25. It said, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. A few verses later, the apostle Peter says, Jesus, me and the other disciples have given away so much to follow you. Jesus didn't say to him, yeah, but you didn't have to give that away. Jesus said, no, I understand. And don't worry, there is a massive reward for people that are willing to really put me first in their life. So when you read verses like that, it really sounds like to a modern day American while maybe we are too engaged in the money and the wealth and the material possessions that our society seems to cherish. Let me put the exclamation point on that thought. Again, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, this time verse 24. Jesus said, 
No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Some translations will say you cannot serve God and mammon, which is just a little bit of a broader term, includes more than just money, but also possessions, etc. And so again, the issue seems to be a lot of wealthy people are going to get themselves in trouble, but not because the money itself is bad, but because, as Paul wrote, the love of money is bad. Not because material possessions or modern conveniences are necessarily evil in and of themselves, but because you try to serve two masters as opposed to serving one master and just accepting some blessings in terms of material possessions. For as much as these verses sound like Jesus is saying, run from money as fast as you can, there actually is no place in the Bible that tells us avoid modern conveniences, live in abject poverty, make sure you never have more than this many dollars in your in your pocket or in your bank account. And I think part of the reason is because human nature being what it is, if we said we believe that living the most austere lifestyle is the best way to glorify God, here's what humans are going to do. We're going to turn it into a self-righteous competition. And so you're going to see somebody who says, I'll live in a one-bedroom apartment to prove how much I love God. Okay, well, then I'll live in my car. Okay, well, then I'll live in a cardboard box in the woods. Okay, well, then I'll live under a straw hut in the woods. You and your glorious, high-modern, convenience cardboard box, how dare you not love God as much as I do? And you can see how humans take those things, and we take them in completely the wrong direction. So the Bible does not say, avoid all possessions, money is bad, live in abject poverty, Because then our self-righteousness is likely to kick in along with our austerity. So there is a balance that we need to find biblically between giving away every dollar we make, living on scraps in a dumpster, and living in a mansion and never giving a dime to charity or to church. There's clearly a balance that we need to make. It obviously has to do with how we use our money and wealth, what we think about our material possessions. And we always want to be cognizant of the examples that Jesus and his apostles set, but also of the warnings that Jesus gave. At the end of Luke chapter 9, you get some interesting verses where Jesus is conversing with individuals who are making a declaration that they want to follow him or questioning if they want to follow him. Let me just give you one of those examples. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 and 58, it says this, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus didn't say to this person, don't follow me. And Luke doesn't tell us whether the individual did in fact end up following Christ or not. All Jesus is saying is, let me be completely honest and straight with you up front. You are interested in following me wherever I go. That is awesome, and I can make tremendous use and value out of your life as we work together to glorify the Father. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But material possessions, money, wealth, and those things will have to take a back seat to being a Christ follower. If you're okay with the fact that you may end up with no place to lay your head at night in terms of ownership and possession, then come on. Again, I don't know what choice the man made. I just think Jesus was trying to be really honest with him 
that it's hard to live a material-focused, a possession-focused, a wealth-focused life and be a full Christian at the same time. It may not be hard to have wealth and be a Christian, but it is hard to live a wealth-focused life and be a Christian. Let me throw out one more point, and then we'll look at maybe some practical ideas of how we can live a biblical God-glorifying life in a materialistic society. I think one mistake that we make sometimes is we say, once I give my 10%, so we say the Bible says we should tithe, once I give my 10%, and I won't even tithe my take-home pay, but I'll tithe the pre-tax, the gross amount of my pay. So I make $1,000 a week, but I only bring home $710. I'm not going to tithe on that $710. I'll tithe on that $1,000. And once I do that, I've shown my commitment to God. And now I can do whatever I want with the rest. And, And that's just absolutely not the case at all. And for a couple of reasons. First of all, if what you do with the rest of that money, what's what left over after your tithe, If that still is the most important thing to you and you still love that money and you're serving wealth and possessions as you try to also serve God, then it doesn't matter. If you gave away 90% and only kept 10, you're still failing that major biblical goal. But the Bible, the New Testament especially, doesn't actually tell us to only tithe. It makes it a lot more difficult for us. Let me read you a verse the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. You'll find this in the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6, 7, and 8. This is Paul. Paul says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This does not say tithe 10% and then do what you want with the rest. This says each one must give as they have decided in their own heart. I would almost read this as 10% to the church, 10% to foreign missions, 10% to charities is the minimum that God would be looking for. But what he really wants is, what will you give cheerfully? Will you give 15%? Will you give 20%? Will you give 25% when you have the opportunity? And will you do it cheerfully? What you do with the rest of the money does in fact matter. Because again, are you doing it to glorify God and to live a good life and to influence others? Or are you doing it because you love your money and you love your possessions and you need them to present your brand to the world, if you will? So using some general biblical principles and some the foundations that we see, especially in the New Testament teachings of Paul and and the lessons of Christ, uh, but also looking at some of like the Old Testament wisdom literature, let's try to come up with just a few practical rules for living a Christian life in a materialistic society. And again, I think we would almost quickly say Christ would probably challenge all of us that we are too caught up in our possessions and we worry too much about our money and we try to serve two masters. I really think the challenge would very strongly be put out if Christ were to come and speak in our churches in the next month. 
that we are very material and very possession and very wealth focused. And I think there would be a real challenge put out to myself included by Christ. Now, I'm not saying again that you have to give every dollar away. The Bible is very clear. Paul says we each must carry our own load. Now, in Galatians, he says right before that, that we should help each other with our excessive burdens. At sometimes I may be facing an excessive burden, at other times you may be facing, and we should help each other with those. But Paul goes on very quickly in a couple of verses to say, but we each have to carry our own load. I'm responsible for me, for my shelter, for my clothing, for my money, uh, for my food. And the Bible also says that if we don't take care of our own family, then we're worse than a non-believer. So it's not just I need to take care of myself. But if I have children, if I have elderly parents or grandparents or even an aunt or an uncle who's become disabled, then I need to be taking care of those individuals. So I do not, I am not supposed to sign the back of my check and put it all in the offering plate at church. I'm responsible to carry my own load and I'm responsible to take care of my family. The Bible also does not say that all modern conveniences are bad. In fact, the apostle Paul writes, and again, to this young preacher, Timothy, who he was mentoring. Paul writes, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 4, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. That's Paul's way of helping Timothy understand. You would have opportunity at times to get a modern convenience or to have this or that, as long as you are appropriately thankful for it and you're not wanting it or using it for the wrong reasons, then say it's created by God, say that you're thankful for it, and it's fine to have it. So there are many modern conveniences that I think most of us have and most of us use, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it at all. If you look at Jesus and his disciples, they use, for example, the fishermen. They used every modern convenience, the boats, the boat design, the type of nets, the net design, etc. All of that was a very modern in their day and much different than, say, what they would have used in King David's day a thousand years before Jesus or in Moses's day, 1500 years before Jesus. Why didn't Jesus and his disciples stop and only use what was available in the day of Moses or in the day of David? Well, because God doesn't require them to do that. And so in terms of the knives that they used or the hatchets that they used or the fishing equipment and boats that they used, it was all for them very modern. So there's no problem with keeping up with society. This is what I think is maybe a valuable way to look at it. Once a convenience becomes standard, so in America, for example, microwave ovens are really a very standard. I don't... I don't know that there's a house, a townhome, an apartment, or a mobile home today that is built or manufactured that doesn't contain a microwave oven. So is it wrong for a Christian to use that modern convenience? I would say absolutely not. Everyone has microwave ovens. There's, it's just common fare now. And so there's nothing showy about it. There's nothing whatever about it. I do think when things are common... It could be cars, it could be clothes, it could be whatever. We do have to be careful that we're not trying to buy something that's a luxury or a brand name or higher quality or that's brand new right on that cutting edge because it 
makes us feel good because we like nice things. The Apostle John writes in his first letter, so you'll find it in the New Testament in the book of 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. John writes about the desire of the eyes. And he said this desire of the eyes, what we might call vanity today, is a sin. And he said, that's not from God, that's from the world. You want, most people have this, but what most people don't have is this big boat, this big yacht that they hang out on. What most people don't have is this type of luxury car that they only drive once a month in the mountains. What most people don't have is X. You only want that or that brand or that size or that version of it because of the desire of your eyes, because you want nicer things than other people, because it makes you look good in front of other people. You only want it for vanity because of the desire of the eyes, John would say. That then does become a sin. And extremely closely related to that, I think sometimes as a Christian, I have to make a decision. When I go to purchase something or think about something, is it something that I'm going to use consistently? Or is it something that I'm actually going to use pretty infrequently and I'm really getting pretty greedy and even thinking that I need to purchase and own that? So for example, I live in a a fine house and very comfortable here, but Maybe I say, oh, but I'd like a house on the beach and I'd also like a house in the mountains. And if I can afford them, why can't I have a house on the beach and a house in the mountains? And when I get to the house on the beach, I'm going to want a boat. So why don't I get a boat and pay to dock it at a marina in Florida? And then, but the issue is if I'm only going to use that beach house once a year, twice a year, if I'm only going to use that boat once a year or twice a year, if I'm only going to go to the mountains into that cabin once a year or twice a year, I think I'd be better off renting a condo on the beach, renting a boat, renting a cabin in the mountains, as opposed to saying, I need to buy one and own one. Why should I have to rent with all those other poor lowlife people that rent? I think sometimes that's the attitude that Jesus was challenging the rich young ruler about, is that he wanted to use his wealth to establish his status in society, we establish our status by owning a second home, owning a cabin in the mountains, owning a boat that we only use three or four times a year, putting a hot tub and a fire pit in our backyard and only using it two or three times a year. So I think the most practical advice is we have to be honest with ourselves and say, what have we decided in our heart to give back monetarily to the kingdom of God? Are we doing it reluctantly or to show off? Or have we truly decided this is how I want to help and serve God's kingdom with the money that God has blessed me with? I think we have to decide for the money that's left over, do our possessions own us or do we own them? Do we try to serve both God and our money or do we truly serve God and we use our money to carry our own load and to take care of our families and to serve and edify in our communities? I think we have to say Are we thankful that every blessing comes from God? Because if it's good and we receive it from God with thanksgiving, Paul says to Timothy, it's okay, don't feel bad that you have a nice bowl to eat out of or nice food to eat or decent clothes to wear. Yes, there are people in the world who are poor, but God has blessed you. Be thankful for those blessings and use them again, as long as you're not using them for show, as long as you're not piling up goods that you really don't use that frequently and you're only doing it as status, etc. Still, even listening to this podcast, 
There's a difficult balance that we have to try to live as a Christian with our money and with our material possessions. Again, the Bible's just not going to say, give this much to the church, give this much to missions, give this much to the Red Cross or the Salvation Army, and only buy these brand of cars and only live in a house with this many square footage. The Bible's simply not going to give us rules like that because so much of it is God wants to see where our heart is at and what we honestly and legitimately want to do and are willing to do, given how his son died to save us. I think the most important point to take away from this podcast is there is a balance and we need to be prayerfully thinking about where that balance is. And again, my challenge would be for many people in America, Christ would consider us wealthy. He would challenge us that it's difficult for a wealthy person to get into the kingdom of heaven. And then we need to look and say, modern conveniences are fine if we're thankful, but the desire of the eyes, the vanity and the pride of life and the building up of possessions for status purposes can really throw a Christian off. And as Paul said, that root, that love of those possessions can be the root of evil and can send us down a path to many pangs. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Andy.